building facades have multiple boxes to tick in being safe, sustainable, smart and much more. And as an industry, we've made great progress over the years in this regard. But are we there yet? We asked and we got facade experts to answer. For today's podcast, I'm joined by Marina Kindelan, Associate Director of Facades at AESG, as well as Liam Northam, Facade Team Lead at Ramball. Thanks very much for joining me today. It's a pleasure having you on the podcast. Thank you very much. Yeah, thanks for having me. So, um, Marina, let's start with you and let's discuss healthy buildings. Of course, I have chatted with both of you separately and outside of this podcast. Uh, and I think, you know, healthy buildings and the role of facades in this is just so important to the industry. So, Let's start with you, Marina. Just how important is fenestration, um, achieving the right degree of fenestration, um, and how much is too much? Yeah, I think the, to, to start to talk about this, I think the most important thing is to start to understand what is healthy buildings and how the fenestration actually kind of like have an impact on these healthy buildings. It's really important that we understand the performance, the, the kind of like what is the thermal performance of the building. That's one thing that in terms of the healthy building. Then the other one is the, the daylight that you are achieving in terms of like the comfort, in, interior comfort. Also, with the fenestration, a problem that comes uh, always is a glare problem here in the region in general. And then also another item that we can go in detail is also the performance in terms of acoustics. Mm. So I think... As a healthy building, I don't know, like yeah. it's mostly those things. I don't yeah, know. If any... Yeah, they're the main parameters. And then how you kind of improve those depends a lot on the kind of functionality, the space planning, where the architecture is at in terms of the depth of the floor plates um, and the other parameters like that. So for us, it's very important that we are able to be involved early and collaborate with the architect to try and give give them advice on the best kind of combination of those things. You know, if there are, for if the plot is a certain way and they can't, change the orientation of a building to provide kind of passive shading then we can look at shading devices and other things but really it's not something you can look at just in terms of um, let's look at the fenestration only it has to be about the entire building design and then when is the fenestration too much it's when you compromise on the user comfort essentially um, when you're not when you're not making sure that those are the priorities right and it's yeah. interesting Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah, I, I I completely agree with you. I think it's it's really important that we we advise properly as as a facade consultants that we know uh, like the the requirements. It's really important that that we advise and talk with the client and discuss with them exactly for that use what type of opening, what type of fenestration, the orientation of the fenestration, and he was as he was mentioning, because for me in reality, like when you say what is too much. Mm -hmm. The problem of too much for me is when it's not justified, when it's not really giving you any like any extra daylight that you actually needed. If it's if again, if we go back to the to a, for example, an example of an office that full glazing, and you have everything yeah full glazing, that's too much because if you need to put something to cover from the glare problems, then it's too much. It's not giving you any advantages, and actually you are like making the performance of the building worse. In some of the cases, right, very interesting. And I know Liam, you mentioned collaboration uh, mm. in your answer, and we'll come back to that very soon. But for now, I'd like to understand. Of course, I'm sure you'd agree that the industry is chasing sustainability as uh, the end goal. Of course, with many other goals. Now, um, does sustainability in facades come with a cost? And how can we, as an industry, ensure um, cost efficiencies? You know, while also, of course, maintaining sustainability. 
Uh, maybe you want to take that first, Liam? Uh, yes, we were talking before about the um, the announcement regarding UAE's net zero goals for 2050. So that was announced just, uh, I think, on Thursday last week, which is really good. Um, that's going to be our kind of big challenge now as an industry is how do we pivot ourselves to towards achieving that? And there's, I mean, there's good evidence from our colleagues in Europe and the US in terms of, you know, what kind of impacts does that have? And there are cost impacts. Yeah, there's a very, I mean, there's a wide range of kind of design issues that get drawn into that kind of uh, net zero approach. And definitely they have cost impacts, but from a long-term point of view, those cost impacts in, term, in now, those initial costs, are outweighed by the long-term value of the building you're producing. So is your building going to meet uh, policy requirements in the future? Um, certain developers, certain organizations are going to require minimum standards, you know, you know. I would say, let's take an example of a blue chip company like IBM or something like that. They are not going to have their staff in unhealthy buildings or unsustainable buildings in a few years' time. You know, they will they will require certain standards for their staff. So that will mean that a building that meets those standards has a higher value. Yeah. So the value of your asset is going to be affected by um, how you've managed to integrate sustainable design into the design and operation of that building. So yes, there is cost, but I think more and more that will become... Um, repaid in time. Marina, do you agree with Liam on that? Yeah, I, 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 completely, I completely agree. I think uh, the, we need to focus more on in terms of what is a sustainability building and what it's going to give you afterwards and actually the requirements that are coming. But I think it's really important also as, um, as a consultant, I have seen that if the targets and all the, the sustainability targets for the facades are put in place from the beginning, early stage, and you design towards those targets, sometimes the cost impact is not that high. It's just appropriate, uh, like to choose the most appropriate system or design to achieve these targets and also to discuss with the sustainability team, because it's always kind of a, an open discussion between the sustainability team and the facade team to see what is achievable, what is more suitable for the project to mm -hmm. set up the, the adequate targets. So it, it not always comes with a cost impact. I think it depends if we are going maybe for a net zero, it will have because the requirements are higher. But when we're talking about another uh, certification, it's not really, it doesn't have a cost impact. It's more about the design, a proper design. Right, right. And while we're still talking about costs, uh, Liam, I want to understand from you mm. first, just how, um, what are the cost impl implications associated with facade safety? And once again, as an industry, how can we uh, improve cost efficiencies in this regard? Um, so facade safety, obviously, there's just kind of two parts or three parts to that really. There's facade safety during construction, mm -hmm. uh, during building life, and then during deconstruction, you know, which is a part we also need to consider in our design. I mean, in terms of, first of all, I'm from a contractor background, as you know, um, safety in design when it comes to um, erecting a facade is, uh, what's the right way of saying this, whatever you invest in that, I think can never be more than the cost of getting it wrong. You know, um, we have to build facades safely. I think that is a, it's a, it's a baseline requirement, okay? So as designers, we need to approach those designs and understand what is buildable. And really a lot of that comes from access. Mm -hmm. I think there's a lot of good systems on the market at the moment, you know, which our designs can work in with those systems. Uh, but the main issue for contractors is access, how they get to the area, particularly obviously facades is one of the, high mo uh, the most high risk um, elements of construction work because it's all work at heights. That's where most fatalities occur. Um, so I think that's important that we can do more 
in our designs to assess how a contractor would build something and then communicate that back to the contractor when they start work. And we have design design in design risk assessments, which are passed on to the contractor, but I often find that those are not very detailed um, and they're quite can be quite generic. So I think we can do better in making those very specific. And maybe that's something when we when the contractor is engaged, we actually have a you know a discussion, a sit down with them, and we actually pass on some of that information so they can understand what we were thinking of when we designed that bit in the corner at the twentieth floor. That how how are you going to get there? Because we should consider that as well. I think it's very important. So, um, in terms of making that more cost efficient, um, I think that communication is important in doing that. Yeah, early on. Mm-hmm. Marina, I caught you nodding in agreement. <laughs> <laughs> again, again, of course, I think uh, I think Leon's completely right on that. And I think in that terms, in some of the cases, if we think it's um, in some of the buildings and when we are designing it, if we think there is a huge risk or higher risk in terms of the construction because it's external access in a lot of the cases, that's yeah. really... Uh, there is a risk. What we will try to promote is more like a pre- uh, prefabricated system. There is yeah. two reasons for that. The uh, main one, as we are saying, a lot of the prefabricated systems that allows you to actually install it from inside the building. So the risk on, during the construction is way less. That's how Europe is actually moving um, forward, like towards. Mm-hmm. But there is also another reason is like the, all the QAQSA process that is done in the factory the quality of that QAQC process is, is is way better. So in reality, we need to move more towards this type of construction prefabricated mm-hmm. that removes the risk on the construction and the risk of something that is not going wrong, like it's going wrong on the system itself. It gives you like the quality control of it is completely different than, than the ones doing on site. And I, I agree it's more about the communication in, the, in those terms. If we yeah. go for a typical design system that is done on site, it's true that it's communication, is doing, for example, for us maybe doing some benchmark um, site inspections review for the team yeah. there that is on site 24 hours to actually know what to look, uh, how to look at things, to, to teach them how to do it. Yeah. But in reality, it's a little bit out of our hands when it comes yeah. to on site. So it's, as soon as it's in factory for us, it's more safety. Yeah, I think if you know if you're talking to the developer or the client about those prefabrication options and you put those in the design very early on, then that can be that can be part of the package when it goes out to the market. You know, it's already the intent is already that it's prefabricated. Um, often, we mentioned value engineering can lead to, you know, a prefabricated system being you know revised backward to a system that's built on site because that can save you money sometimes um, and it can save you time certainly in some cases but i think if the benefits of that are understood very early on by both the client and the the contractor involved then you know hopefully we can see that carried through yeah. And I think, and I think uh, there was one point that you were saying that is important when when they do this in some cases when these value engineers happen. I think it's yeah. really important that the facade consultant gets on board again to have a discussion because I think we can explain them the risk of actually doing those value engineers yeah. in some of the cases. In some of the cases, it's true it can it can be done with a proper design supporting that value engineer, but in other cases, we really need to point the risks for uh, mm. for them. So. I think it's, 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 really, it's really important that we are there in all the process because if we get, we've been pushed out in one of the processes when I think all the risk yeah. has started, there's a little bit of miscoordination. Yeah. I guess you have seen that happening. I have, yeah. yeah. <laughs> now, I've, I've worked on projects where, you know, we, when I've been a contractor, we value engineered things. Um, 
in line with the client's requirements. And, you know, we've deviated from the um, facade engineers or the architects kind of concept. And sometimes that has been to unprefabricate things, you know, I mean, Mm -hmm. we have had to take that approach to meet budgets in the past. So the idea is hopefully if, if it's a earlier conversation, then that can be locked into the budget, you know, I mean, that's always not easy, but you can try and have that as a, as a, as a basic in the project so when it goes out to market it's understood that that's required Mm -hmm. right and you both hinted at uh coordination collaboration and good communication early on early engagement um across projects and on contracts so that's something i want to bring up uh, now just how crucial is that uh, for optimal facades delivery and what could go wrong in the lack of such collaboration do you want to go first, maybe, uh, yeah. Marina? Yeah, yeah I, I will take it. So I think it's in, in, as a facade consultant, I think it's, it's really important this collaboration from early stages. So from the when the concept is being designed, it's really important to have this collaboration to communicate from us, communicated our knowledge to the architect, the design team, the client, mm-hmm. so they can take the like informed decisions. That's really important. The same on the collaboration, if we are talking, for example, with the sustainability team, things like that. It's really important, this collaboration to, again, I think I took it, I, I discussed about this previously. It's really important that we communicate and we agree on the targets that we are, we are looking for. Right. Because it's really important that we actually are the ones design, deciding these targets because we know what is available or what can be done. So that's kind of really important things during the design stage. And what it can be wrong and go wrong is that if at some point we can support and we can inform the client to actually take those decisions, to 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 inform them, to lead them to take some of the decisions. But as a SAFASAT consultants, there is a limited, uh, we have a limited um, kind of, uh, I don't know like how to say it, say we have some limitations. So actually we can inform them in terms of, for example, going back to the fenestration where is ideally to have this fenestration where we don't recommend it or if you put it you need to cover you need to add some shading elements right. things like that but at the end is is for the client and the architect to decide if they do it or not what it tended up happening is that if they don't take or they don't follow our, some of our recommendations the building maybe doesn't perform the way that we are expecting right. so Again, you ended up with a, one area that actually is too exposed to the sun, so the people doesn't feel comfortable. So then the people is not going to run, uh, rent it. For example, an office, they don't rent it. A house, they don't buy it because it's really uncomfortable, so much glare. They need to cover, they need to fix it. Right. So that's, for me, what it can go wrong. Mm-hmm. And all the stakeholders suffer then. Exactly. <laughs> Liam? Yeah, no, I would totally agree with what Marina said. I think the best situation for us is to be involved very early because it's when the architecture is locked. Yeah, when you can't move that window or you can't change the orientation of that elevation or whatever, that's when a lot of the recommendations that we can assist with, you, you can't use them any longer. You end up trying to fix a problem that's built in to the facade because because of how the building is orientated or how the space is used. So uh, obviously the architect has the big job of trying to make it all come together in terms of a usable building that the client wants. Um, but I think we have a lot to offer very early on mm-hmm. in terms of how they can get the best performance out of it. And like Marina said, and I think another thing on collaboration um, would also to be to be better at getting uh, contractors involved earlier right. in the design process. So most of the contracts that we work on here are like a traditional contract, essentially, where it's designed, we've done issues for construction drawings and we go out to the market. Yeah. 
Um, and that works, you know, fine for a lot of buildings, um, particularly the, the simpler kind of construction. Uh, the more complex your building, I think it really does, it really is an advantage to have a specialist or a contractor involved early on because what you're looking at there is uh, making sure that what's drawn is actually deliverable, you know. And we, we can we can assist in a lot of that. That's part of obviously what we do as facade engineers. But when you get into very complex projects, um, I think there's a lot of advantage of having early contractor involvement. Mm -hmm. You know, and Are you both seeing enough early contractor involvement just from your experiences? I, I'm not. I'm <laughs> not. I, I, I will say that it's, it's <laughs> more than before, but it yeah. still is, is slow. But I think it's slowly, yeah, coming up. But I think it's... I think when the client has done it that way, some of them they repeat actually. They they yeah. they, they repeat and they they do it again. But I agree with you. It's 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 a, a big advantage is because you'd remove or you'd reduce the value engineers. Or if there is a value engineer yeah. exercise, it happens in really early stages. Correct. So you yeah. have enough time and to it, redesign the whole thing yes, towards that. Yes, it becomes that. integrated. Yeah. Whereas, again, from my experience, some, you know, you, you win a project, you get handed a pack of drawings. Um, probably you've seen them once before during tender and when you start to engineer this facade in terms of a subcontractor who's going to fabricate it um you understand okay well the size of that grc doesn't work and the size of that precast doesn't work and mm -hmm. this mullion's not going to be 100 mil it's going to be 150 mil and these are all things that facade engineers calculate and we look at in the design but you know a lot of a lot of buildings get to site or a lot of projects get to site and they don't have that kind of overview of what's available in the market what can be processed what can be produced and then the the impact of that is you have a change in the architecture i think on that one yeah. <laughs> i think we should be able to actually yeah, no, assess that, that. definitely <laughs> yeah in in reality i think um I think we should be, as a facade consultant, we should be able to assess yeah, that. 100%. I'm, I'm talking about jobs with no facade consultant even. Oh, no, that, yeah. those ones, I, yeah, yeah, I completely agree. And those so, ones is when, when they use, you have seen, I'm pretty sure, like when you, you, they use kind of some packages from other projects. Yeah, they, they are not yeah the standard engineer. details yeah. and stuff doesn't work. It doesn't fit. Yeah. You know, so I think like as consultants now, we have a, you know, that's part of our role is to mm -hmm. make sure that doesn't happen. But I think moving forward, I think the industry has to try and, be more uh, collaborative with the market because right. at the moment there's quite a barrier between the two mm -hmm. and uh, you know the design and build kind of uh, model I think does give better certainty with project delivery and you know, know that the design is going to go ahead with that one yeah. like it's, it's, I agree with you it's, it's, it's yeah. really the, the way to move forward yeah, yeah. I mean, as an example you might have a certain contractor on board you know that he or she uses that system then you start to integrate that system in the design so by the time you get to an issue for construction set, you can build that almost. Yeah, because if yeah. not, they, they will need to go to redesign. And some of yeah. the cases, they, they design what they have available is completely different yeah. than what has been designed from our side. And that's so. what I've done personally a few times. I take that drawing set and I go, well, okay, my system doesn't work in this. Mm -hmm. So then I spend three months trying to negotiate with the architect to shoehorn my particular facade system that my company uses into the drawings, you know? Mm -hmm. So, you know, and then that also has an impact on the architecture as well, which um, people can never be happy about. Yeah, I think you both answered my question about are we there yet? We're probably still playing catch up, but we've yeah, but, made great progress but, over the Marina years. said there are some clients now that are starting to use design and build mm -hmm. more regularly. Right. So yeah, it's happening. I think, yeah, I think, I think in terms of collaboration, we are improving so much, I think. Um, 
in terms of design and build is on the way. Yes, yeah. <laughs> but I think I think with all the technology that we have available at the moment, right. I think we have gone a little bit a step ahead in a lot of aspects that is more about a collaboration more than a separate disciplines and it's just it's not just facades. It's all the all the consultancy are more integrated now yeah, in terms of the so. design process. Before I think it was a little bit like architect's client and then the consultants they do their packets kind of separate working in silos yeah it was just in the background there i think now there's way more collaboration we get more on board and discussing directly with the clients because we are again it's going to the same point is to inform the clients of uh, like to inform them to take a decision so i think in general i can see this happening more in all the division all the disciplines Yeah, I think it's yeah. going there, no. in my opinion. Yeah, I think we. I think the other thing that maybe contributes to that is we're used to online working more now. Right. Yeah, so whereas before there's a lot of physical meetings and stuff, which are really good, are still very useful, but yeah. now it's much more common just to have online workshops, or, you know, and we we can have guys presenting things to people in New York or California or something and giving advice to projects in Singapore, wherever, um, and it's all normal now that mm-hmm. isn't unusual so mm-hmm. getting the facade engineer or the other consultant involved early on is i suppose easier as well 100% and you've both spoken about technology so let's actually yeah. before we wrap up discuss technology of course i'm sure you'd both agree that the industry is slowly but surely adapting to uh, innovative technologies now this change across technology what kind of an additional responsibility do you think it's going to um, have on um, facade specialists say a decade from now and uh, just what kind of challenges will these facade innovations pose oh for the i think in terms of um of the innovation i think the the architecture uh, building engineer i think is not growing or evolving as fast as other industries mm-hmm. in terms of using the tools that we have available but we are kind of improving. So, for example, if I'm talking, because the topic is a little bit also in terms of sustainability, things like that. Um, in terms of the tools that we have available, we were using these tools previously just to check if the design was correct. I think now where the industry is moving forward is like more to actually use those tools to, to design, to, to guide the design. So use it on more a dynamic process to create an optimal design in terms of just as a check tool. Mm-hmm. And I think it's kind of like, it's because the, the market is going to towards a more sustainable or more like the, the targets in terms of sustainability are more difficult to achieve. So now we need to use all the tools that we have in our hands to actually yeah. design optimal design. Yeah, that's, that's the only way that we can achieve the targets, yeah. right? And I think those requirements will start to filter down from the government policy. They'll start to filter down into kind of real targets for designs. Mm-hmm. So rather than just the kind of, I suppose, um, you know, the large scale uh, signature architect projects mm-hmm. that require these type of tools, you're going to start to need those to do residential buildings to do normal normal construction mm-hmm. now because um, it won't be long before there are targets for, you know, the next apartment block needs to be net zero, it needs to be this, it needs to be that. Well, how do we demonstrate that? How do we prove that? We well, need to start using some of those tools just need to be like day to day. And then we, we need to be better at developing those models. You know, the facade is... It's the enclosure. It's what keeps everything inside the building in terms of the air, the heat, everything else. So we need to kind of develop how we how we model that more accurately, Mm -hmm. you know, Um, so that what what we're giving clients is a is a kind of a performance based design. And we've got some backup to say, okay, this is how it works. 
And then I think the next step is going to be a lot more facade commissioning as well, Mm -hmm. actually on site doing testing, making sure it's actually working. Because that's often a bit that's kind of, we talk about value engineering, that's a bit that's kind of crossed out right at the end, you know. We might do hose testing, we might do like whole building air test, but apart from that, there's not really... But in reality, it will come with the net zero. I think yeah, that's, that's uh, it's, yeah. it's, as you mentioned, with the new requirements, it's going to yeah. come everywhere and it's, it's, it's coming. Like they can, they need to prove, like uh, on the net zero, you need to prove that what you consume is the same that you generate. Yes. So at the end, I agree, it's, it's going towards that way. And I agree, commission is really important because we can we can design as best as we can, but at the end, it's everything a little bit theoretic. Um, it's more about theory. Like we study, yeah. we do some modelings, we run the analysis to make sure that that performs. But in reality, you need to see it on site because on the installation, and then we go back again to do it on site. Right. Some of the times when the things are done on site, they are not done properly. Mm-hmm. So then there is a risk that actually doesn't perform, but right. it should. If you have it prefabricated, you remove that risk. Yeah, but, massively, yeah. Mm. But again, so then all that needs to be checked and needs to be checked during the construction at the end of the construction. And if something is not working, then it needs to be solved, fixed. So the building at the end performs as it's been designed. Yeah. Right. And I think you said it in the answer to the first question about existing buildings, how you mm-hmm. retrofit or improve existing buildings. That is also a huge thing. I mean, there's a lot of building stock here in Dubai um, and in lots of other cities across the world that, okay, they won't have to meet the same targets, but you know that those buildings are essentially sick buildings, yeah? Mm-hmm. They don't have the right amount of insulation. They don't have the right amount of, um, uh, you know, there's too much solar heat gain through the building. Uh, we know and um, we're sure that a lot of these buildings have issues with air infiltration. So, you know, people who own those buildings, who own those assets, they need to start to either upgrade those, repair those, do something with them. So I think there's going to be quite a big input from facade engineers and how do you do that? Like, what is the problem? How do you fix the problem? How do you measure it? Right. You know, exactly. yeah. yeah, I think it's there's a lot of that that's going to be necessary. And it's, it's, that one is really interesting because in reality, as you said, you need to assess what is the problem yeah. and how to fix it without really like needed to demolish the whole building or the whole facade yeah. and rebuild it again. Mm. It's really important that we understand that. Retain the important aspects of the building. Exactly. Because, I mean, it's a lot of people say it, but it's true. It's like the most sustainable thing is not building more more buildings, okay? <laughs> that's the, main, <laughs> the most sustainable approach. But since we can do that, let's, let's make our, our buildings more healthy. Right. And then without like really trying to use what is there to improve it. So that's, that's I think, a, a challenge for us in the next years. I, yeah, I agree. <laughs> definitely. Yeah. And then building things that are flexible, you know, mm-hmm. things that can change use through their lifetime. Because I don't know how long it'll be, but at some point there'll be a requirement for an owner or a developer to reuse an existing building before he can yeah. build a new one. You know, you'll have to do some kind of assessment to say, I need this, yeah, mm-hmm. before he gets permission to build it because I think they're going to start to look at existing building stock and say well look you've already got this amount of office space or this many apartments here you need to repurpose this you need to reuse you know brownfield existing existing developments and since we did go over technology I also just want to understand do you think the industry is just ticking boxes uh, in their approach towards technology there's something you mentioned Marina do you want to elaborate I mean it's, it's exactly so as um I don't think it's the industry. I think at the, the industry is evolving a little bit more to use those, those tools in more a dynamic uh, approach. But it's true that it was just, just as a check, um, just, just to check the performance, for example. So for, ex- for example, if we talk about energy models, things like that, what we have seen is that, for example, our approach is to actually create more um, a generative approach. So where the model, we put some inputs on the, on the model. We have some targets on the model and then we have some variables. So the model itself 
kind of run all the options because computational design is it can it can study more options that a human being can do. So it runs all the options and it gives you the optimal ones. So this is the way that we are currently using the 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 tools to be more as um, yeah as I was saying a dynamic approach. It's more about a dynamic approach in that sense. Liam, do you want to add in here as well? Uh, yeah, the only thing I'd add to what Marina said is that, um, you know, the, the kind of tick box type thing, which is um, achieving cert- certain certifications and things, I think people are taking that very seriously. Um, they, I don't think they were at a point, you know, um, but it is more serious now. And um, like Marina mentioned already, the cost of achieving that has come down. Um, the The kind of value of achieving it has gone up. So I think those those uh, standards, those benchmarks, although they are ticking boxes, what they do is they drive the standard of the quality up in terms of sustainable design. You know, so that's can they become your minimum standards, and then at the front you have you know engineers and architects who are able to model and um, do things well above those standards. So I think it's it's important also to have like a a kind of net that brings everyone up to reference minimum. point of thought. Yeah, definitely. So I think, yeah, and I think they are being treated more than just tip box exercises now. I think developers and clients are very, um, it's very important for them to have those um, certificates. Mm-hmm. And it does affect, like I said, the value of their, their asset and their, their space. So, yeah. Right. That's good news for the industry always that we're going beyond yeah. the, uh, you know, beyond ticking just boxes. Yeah. Great. Thank you so much both for taking the time to join me today on the podcast. It was lovely having you share your insights and just to see the kind of passion you have for your work. Thank you again. Thank you very much. Well, that was all for this episode. We shall be back very soon with another lineup of experts and another pertinent topic. Until then, you know the drill. Like, share, comment and subscribe and watch this space for more. Thanks for watching. (music) 